All right, last time we met on Wednesday in our study of seven, the book of Revelation, uh, we talked about the first woe, which was the fifth trumpet judgment. Again, there are three series of judgments that are discussed in Revelation. We have the seal judgments that we've already looked at, and each of these judgments is a series of seven. And uh, the first two, uh, at the end of the sixth, the start of the seventh, is the start of the next series of seven judgments. So the seventh uh, uh, seal was the start of the trumpet judgments. And there at the end of chapter 8, the, the angel pronounced three woes that were coming to the earth in the form of the trumpets and just, just magnificent horror that was coming to the earth. And I'm not going to go in depth about everything that we talked about and discussed, but a quick review of what we talked about a couple weeks ago. Uh, when this uh, fifth angel sounded in verse number 1 of chapter 9, I saw a star fall from heaven. Again, many people refer to this and believe this is Lucifer, uh, the, um, the, the fallen angel. And to him was given. Remember everything uh, that was, uh, remember everything that the, the devil has, he has been given, the, the authority that he has. Uh, all of his power is limited because only the only one that has limited, limitless power is God himself and Jesus Christ. But a him was given the key to this bottomless pit. And then as he unlocked this abyss, this bottomless pit, this great smoke arose, the smoke as of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened by reason of the smoke of the pit. And there came out the smoke locust upon the earth, and there was given power. So again, God gave power to them. So God is then using evil uh, to punish the earth, and we looked at that. And then even the, the, the time in which they were allowed to punish the earth was just a matter of five months. And again, I encourage you to go back and listen to that study. You can find it on our, our website, I believe, if you want to listen to that study more in depth. Uh, but let's go ahead and jump down to verse number uh, 12 tonight. The Bible says, One woe is past, and behold, there come two woes more hereafter. So again, the fifth trumpet has sounded. We're not even halfway through the tribulation at this point. And the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden, golden altar, which is before God, saying to the sixth angel, which, is, which had the trumpet, Loose the four angels, which are bound in the great river Euphrates. And the four angels were loosed and were prepared for an hour and a day and a month and a year to slay a third part of men. A lot of humanity has already been destroyed up until this point, and a lot more is going to be destroyed here at this sixth trumpet judgment. And the number of the army of the horsemen were 200,000. I mean, that's a, lot of, uh, that's, that's a lot of individuals. And I heard the number of them. I mean, just imagine the number of 200,000 individuals coming after you. Uh, and thus I saw the horses in the vision, and them that sat on them, having breastplates of fire and of jacinth and of brimstone, and the heads of the horses were as the heads of lions, and out of their mouths issued fire and smoke and brimstone. By these three were the third part of men killed. So we've already had a lot of humanity killed and destroyed. Now another third of humanity is killed and destroyed by fire and the smoke and the brimstone which issued out of their mouths. This is really kind of replicating what happened, I think, in Genesis 19, uh, where Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed by fire and sulfur or fire and brimstone. For their power is in their mouth, 
and in their tails, and their tails were like unto serpents, and had heads, and with them they do hurt. And the rest of men, which were not killed by these plagues, yet repented not. I mean, this is a very sad verse when you think about it. We'll talk more in depth about it in just a few minutes. They yet repented not of the works of their hands, that they should not worship devils and idols of gold and silver and brass and stone of wood, which neither can see nor hear nor walk. Neither repented they of their murders, nor of their sorceries, nor of their fornication, nor of their thefts. Now, again, before we really dive into these verses tonight, verse 12 through 21, we have to understand, as we've been talking about really every week in this study of Revelation, that the primary object of Revelation is to understand that Jesus Christ is in control, that He is sovereign. And we've already walked through time and time again. And really, I can't wait till even we get to next week in chapter 10 and 11 because what we see, it's kind of the halfway point. And again, it's not necessarily chronologically written because uh, John kind of takes a break and it's kind of, uh, kind of like a pause like he had back in chapter 7 uh, before really the, the bull judgments or the vile judgments are about to come on, on the earth. And he kind of, you know, sets the stage and really it's kind of a, a gospel call for, for all of those that are on the earth really at this time that John is giving us. And it's just a, a great passage in chapter 10 and 11 that we'll get to in the next couple, couple weeks. But the thing is, God is in control. And we have to realize that. We have to understand that. And again, 2020 has been a weird year. It's been a crazy year. 2019, 2018, every year is weird. Every year is crazy. But regardless of the year, God is in control. And regardless of what is coming, we have to understand that God is in control, has always been in control, will always be in control. And that's what we've learned thus far, that even though hell is coming to earth, and that's really what we're going to talk about tonight, and that's what we've already seen with the fifth trumpet judgment sounding here at the end times, that hell is coming to earth, Jesus is still in control. Even in Isaiah chapter 14, Satan had allowed pride to set in his heart. You know, pride is perhaps the greatest downfall of mankind. Five times in Isaiah 14, we see the phrase, I will. Satan basically said that I will ascend. I will make myself like God. I, I am going to be the greatest. But really, his power is limited. His power has always been limited. And really, when you think about it, there is only one that can truly say, I will. And it's the great I am. We've been talking about that on Sunday mornings because Satan's power is limited and the only one that has limitless power is God. As I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, Martin Luther, the great reformer, once said, even the devil is God's devil. And a lot of people are fearful of the devil. But again, we give him too much credit, more credit than he deserves. There's only one sovereign ruler. And as again, I mentioned last time for Mike, it's not the emperor Palpatine. All right. The only sovereign ruler and leader is Jesus Christ, God himself. God is not the author of evil, but excuse me, he will use evil against itself. And as we get to chapter 9, verse number 12, as it says, One woe is past. Behold, there come two more woes hereafter. And in the next several verses, here's what we see. God is going to humble mankind. The first woe has taken place, and the second and third woes are yet to come. And what we see, if you're taking notes, here's the first point. When God's restraining grace is removed, hell comes to earth. That's really what it comes down to. When God's restraining grace is removed, hell comes to earth. 
Again, I, I want you to remember to not miss the point of Revelation. The purpose of Revelation is to not promote speculation for the future. There's a lot of passages that you can really speculate. What exactly is John talking about? And especially as we get deeper into this study in the coming weeks, I've already been kind of reading ahead and studying ahead for the coming chapters, and it's very easy to speculate because there's a lot of commentaries that believe different things about different aspects. But again, the speculation is not about the future. The purpose of revelation for the Christian is to give hope because our hope is not found in the end times of what's going to happen during the tribulation. Our hope is in the gospel. Our only hope is in the gospel of Jesus Christ. J. Boyd Nicholson once said, The gospel is not a tranquilizer for worried weaklings to help them sleep at night. It is not a mass of dead dogmas, deep frozen in some ancient cathedral to be carried as a burden through life and thought out five minutes before death. The gospel is not a list of religious rules and regulations to be strung around the soul like a luck charm in case of accidents. He said, no, the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ is a message, and what a message it is. It is a living message from the living God for living people just like us. It is the only message on the face of the earth which concrete promises and absolute assurances of an eternal inheritance that will withstand the impact of death and the collapse of the universe. And that's what we have to understand. That's what we have to take from Revelation. It's all about the gospel. And what we see in verses 13 through 16 is this. God directs what evil does. God directs what evil does. Verse 13, And the sixth angel sounded, And I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God. It was this same golden altar of incense, if you remember back in chapter 8, verse 3 through 5, where the prayers of the saints were offered. Remember, they were praying for vindication. Well, vindication is coming to earth. God has heard them, and now four angels have been loosed. Verse number 14, these angels are mentioned, saying to the sixth angel, which had the trumpet, Loose the four angels which are bound in the great river Euphrates. Now, many believe about these angels, and I believe as well, that these are demons. Each angel oversees part of the vast army that follows them at their liberation an army of over 200,000 beings. This army is released at a precise moment in time for a specific purpose, to kill. Remember the first part of chapter 9, those locusts-like creatures could not kill, could they? They could inflict a lot of pain and torment, but they could not kill. But at this time, now men, men, mankind tried to die, but they could not die. And imagine that. People tried to kill themselves, whether it be stabbing themselves or shooting themselves with a gun or whatever it is, and they could not die because God would not allow it. But now, when all of this comes to earth, they will die. The Bible says that a third of mankind will die. And really, we've already seen that, I mean, almost a third of mankind has already died up until this point. And it's, it's insane. And since, or actually I think a fourth of mankind has already died up until this point, now we have another third. So it's just, it's just insane what's happening already at this time. But before I move on, I just want to make quick reference of this, uh, this phrase here at the end of verse 14. It says, These angels which are bound in the great river Euphrates, this, this area of the, uh, the river Euphrates, the Tigris and the Euphrates, uh, I've even uh, heard some of our kids in school have studied this area. 
Uh, kids, how many of you remember what this area is called? It's the land between two rivers. Mesopotamia, very good. Uh, it's, uh, I think the fifth graders have studied this, so that's where they remember it. But it's in this great river Euphrates area. Now, just understand this very quickly. The Euphrates River is a natural water boundary between the Middle East and the Far East. Euphrates was in the Mesopotamia Valley, Mesopotamia Valley, Valley, which was the cradle of civilization, where civilization began. It was where the Garden of Eden was located. It was where the first sin was committed. It was where the first lie was told. It was where the first murder was committed. It was where the first grave was dug. It was in this region where God saw the wickedness of man that was great, so he sent the flood. Again, this, this is almost hard for me to comprehend. You know, it, earth is pretty wicked when you think about it, isn't it? I mean, it is, especially in 2020. But how wicked must it have been for God to say, enough, I'm starting over? I, I, it blows my mind when I think about it. It really does. Because I think it's bad now, and it is bad. But it's not even comparable of what it was back then. For God to say, enough, I'm starting over with Noah and his family. Again, continuing on, um, it was where man attempted to build a tower that would reach into the heavens so that God confounded the language. Nimrod built the Tower of Babel. It was this region where ancient Israel's most oppressive enemies came from, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the, the Medes, the Persians. It is here that God has kept in confinement four fallen angels who will be loosed upon the earth. And when the sixth trumpet is sounded, it might be that God chose to bind these angels at the place of Satan's first apparent victory, as serving notice that this victory will be overturned. Thus the four bound angels are but the first fruits of a greater victory to follow. In verse 15, we continue on, it says, The four angels were loosed, which were prepared, it tells us that they were prepared for a precise precise moment in time for an hour, which we don't know, and a day, we don't know, and a month and a year for to slay the third part of man. So the precise purpose was to kill a third of mankind. Now combine all of this with what we learned back in Revelation chapter 6 verse 8. And we now discover that over half of the earth's population will die as a result of the seal and the trumpet judgments. Just, just imagine, just try. Imagine the carnage. I mean, that's unfathomable, isn't it? I mean, talk about like stench, right? I, I can't even imagine that. But then going into more detail, verse number 16, and the number of the army of the horsemen, and again, many, many debate this. They think, well, the only the only nation, if you want to talk about a nation, the only, only nation that can have an army this big, it's got to be China. But I still believe this is a demonic army. The number of the army of the horsemen were 200,000. And then John says, I heard the number of them. Imagine that. Imagine listening to 200,000 horsemen that are coming after you. Wow. It, it's just insane. You know, fire and smoke and brimstone are issued from, <clears throat> excuse me, from their mouths. Their tails are like biting serpents. 
They can attack men from the front as well as from the rear. And God has directed all of this mind-boggling demonic activity. And the thing that we again have to remember is that they can only do what God permits. They can't do anything else. Verse 17 through 19, we continue on. What we see is the description of the riders. The description of the riders. And thus I saw the horses in the vision, and them that sat on them, having breastplates of fire and of jacinth and brimstone, and the heads of the horses were as the heads of lions. And out of their mouths issued fire and smoke and brimstone. By these three was the third part of men killed by fire and by smoke and by brimstone or sulfur, which issued out of their mouths. For their power is in their mouth and in their tails. For their tails were like unto serpents or snakes and had heads and with them they do hurt. Their only weapon that we see is really a defensive weapon. They had on them breastplates, three colors, the color of fire, the color of jacinth, which is kind of a bluish or purplish color, and then brimstone or sulfur, which is a yellowish color. They have a lion-like head, which speaks of their ferocity, their cruelty, their destructive strength and power. The destructive forces of fire, smoke, and brimstone proceed out of their mouths of these demons, and by these three plagues, a third of mankind is killed. These riders are basically indestructible. Verse 19 provides additional description. It says they resemble snakes or serpents in their heads, and they're inflicting injury. And again, you can't help but think of Genesis 19 and the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. And really, as we've studied Revelation, a lot of what we have talked about thus far kind of goes back to some of the the consequences and judgment that God has already put upon mankind. But then we move forward to verse 20 and 21. And what we see is this. God's judgment reveals the utter depravity of the human heart. So verses 13 through 19, we saw that when God's restraining grace is removed, hell comes to earth. And really chapter 9 is just all just tied together. We kind of broke it up for sake of time so that we wouldn't be here all, all time, you know, the last time we met. But as God's restraining grace has been removed, hell has come to earth in the form of this demonic locust army, and now these uh, demonic beings and 200,000 horsemen. And, you know, five months they could, you know, inflict pain upon mankind, pain that was so great that mankind wanted to kill themselves but couldn't, and now they are going to die, a third part of mankind, I mean, think about that. If there's almost 8 billion people in the world, now there's going to be a lot less at that time. So if, if that were the amount of people at this time, how many people would, would be dead at that time? Yeah, like 2.5 billion. Again, there's going to be far less because, you know, there's going to be a lot less dead. But just imagine 2.5 billion. Just imagine a billion people dying at this judgment. It's pretty insane, isn't it, when you think about it? I mean, think about like a thousand people dying. That's a lot. <laughs> you know, you think about things like 9-11 where, what, five, six thousand people died. That, that was a lot. That was a great tragedy on American soil. But this is worldwide. You know, COVID-19 has been worldwide, but it has nothing on this. It has nothing on any of these judgments. And it's just amazing when you think about it that, you know, God has... 
kept His grace upon the earth, but His grace is going to be removed. And judgment is coming. And what we see in these closing verses is God's judgment reveals the utter depravity of the human heart because I want you to notice these final two verses. We're kind of moving through this quickly tonight. But I want you to notice these final two verses. And it's really, it's sad when you think about it. Verse 20, And the rest of men which were not killed, because there's still going to be people that are not killed, because there's at least a fourth of mankind that's already been killed in chapter 6 with the sealed judgments, and now another third. So there's over half the population has died, plus everyone else that's been raptured away. You think about everything that people have seen, and we're not even three and a half years through the tribulation yet. And notice what it says. All the people that remain that were not killed by these plagues yet repented not. You know what that means? They didn't repent of their sins. Like, can anyone just like make sense of that? I mean, I, I can't. You know, in my studies this week and just trying to wrap my mind around it, I mean, it just, it, it should sadden you when, when you think about it. How depraved the human heart really is. And you think about it, the purpose of this judgment and these judgments is the same purpose that God has used throughout history. Judgment is a call for repentance. You see, the culture we live in today is very wicked, but it's nothing compared to the sin that is going to be magnified during this time. There's going to be an increase in murder and theft and witchcraft and idolatry and sexual immorality. God has spared the remaining population to see if they'd repent, to give them a second chance, and yet... They choose not. W.A. Criswell wisely noted, he said, one of the strangest things about human nature is that man has not changed because of punishment. He may desist from evil because he is afraid, but his heart is still evil. Before I go on, you think about that. You think about even those parents, obviously parents that have kids, just because you punish your kid doesn't mean they always change, right? Sometimes it just makes them mad. <laughs> but magnify that times 100 billion, whatever, whatever you want. That's how it is during this end time. You think, well, all of the carnage that they've seen, all of this magnificence that they've seen, that obviously, to me, it points of a creator, it points to a God, surely they're going to repent God, forgive me, but they don't. And Criswell continues, he says, he would do evil if he would get away with it. A man is really changed only by the gospel <laughs> and by the grace of the Son of God. And what these closing verses teach us is this. First of all, humans love their idols. <laughs> Humans love their idols. You see, idolatry is at the core of an unrepentant heart. John Calvin once said, The mind begets an idol, the hand gives it birth. Because in verse number 20 it says, All of those that still are alive, they didn't repent of the works of their hands, that they should not worship devils, they continue to worship devils and idols of gold and silver and brass and stone and of wood, which neither can see or hear or walk. Now, quick side note. 
It's very easy to think of idolatry as some image that we construct. You know, think about in Bible times where, you know, Moses was going up to the mountain and, and um, oh, who was left? Um, um, Aaron, yeah, Aaron was left. Not you, Aaron. You're Iron Man, so it's, you're okay. Um, Aaron was left and, you know, the people were waiting and they constructed this, this image of gold and they bowed down. So it's very easy to think that that's the only kind of idol that it's talking about, but that's sometimes the farthest thing from truth. Again, idolatry is anything that takes preeminence in our life. Anything that we worship above God. And sometimes we think, well, I don't have some statue on my mantle like Buddha that I'm bowing down to five times a day or five times, whatever it is. But the thing is, most everyone in here, if we're honest with ourselves, have something that serves as an idol. If we were to look inward... There's something in our life, even right now, that serves as an idol. That has taken the place, the rightful place of God, as the prominent, preeminent place in our life of worship, of service. You know, my study for Sunday and the message, you know, we're talking about the Prince of Peace. And, you know, one of the points I think I'm, I think I'm making, I've got like several different messages running through my head right now. But, you know, just, just imagine. Imagine if you actually lived the Bible for 24 hours. How different your life would be. But the reality is, none of us do, do we? No, we don't, because we have a sinful nature. And really, the, the reason we don't, yeah, we have the sinful nature within us, and the, the reason we don't live out the Bible, even for 24 hours, is because we want to be in control. Because we don't want to surrender control to Jesus. We don't want to give up control because, no, 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 it's my life. I'm going to do things the way that I want to do them. Now, we'll follow certain things the Bible, right? We'll follow the things that we want to follow. I'm good at that. You're good at that. There's certain things in God's Word that I follow on a consistent basis. But you know what? There's certain things that I don't because I don't like them. And if you're honest, you'd say the same thing. And really, there's no one in here that probably could say, you know, for at least 24 hours, I'd follow everything in how you, how, you, how you talk, how you act, the thought process you have. I'm not just trying to make you feel how horrible you are, but the point I'm making is that, going back to idolatry, many Christians think, well, I don't, I don't struggle with that. But the reality is, we do. We all struggle with that. And that's why it's, even as, as Paul said, even in the New Testament, that you know, we have to die daily of ourselves, of what we want, and do what God wants of us. And at the, at the end here, at the end times, even with all of this carnage and all that they have seen, all of this demonic activity, they're still not going to repent. Because humans love their idols. Verse 20, they didn't repent. Verse 21, it continues, neither repented they. So John just throws it in there again, again for good measure, just in case we didn't get it the first time. They didn't repent in verse 20. And again, just in case you missed it, they still didn't repent. The rest of mankind continued worshiping their idols as if all that they saw wasn't enough for them. 
And it's important to note that idol worship and demon worship are really close companions. Because idolatry robs God of his glory and dethrones him of his rightful place in your heart and life. But then verse 21 teaches us this, humans love their immorality. And honestly, you know, I know this is a lesson teaching us about the end times, but really, these last two verses should be convicting for a Christian too. You know, I I guess we can change the wording here from humans love their idols to Christians love their idols and Christians love their immorality. We could do that, right? We could. Or for some of you, why don't you just put your name there? It's pretty convicting, isn't it? I'm not going to ask you to do that, but I mean, if you have a paper, why don't you just mark it out and put your name Loves my idols. My name loves my immorality. Because that's the truth of it. And really when you study this, it's not, well, I'm just studying to see how bad it's going to get. No, we need to study this to see what God wants us to learn from this. And look at verse number 21. Neither repented they of their murders, so they're still going to kill people, nor of their sorceries, nor of their fornication, nor of their thefts. And all of the sins mentioned in these verses have plagued humanity since its inception. And it's very possible that they're going to be strongly prevalent, even more so in the last days. I mean, they're already strongly prevalent today. You know, this fornication, the sexual immorality that's talked about in verse number 21, it's one of the sins that affects so many, even Christians today. It comes from the Greek word pornea, and it refers to all sexual sins that occurs outside of marriage relationships between man and woman. And many Christians find themselves involved in this. Not, it's, this isn't just for the lost. Now, that's specifically what John is referring to at the end times here, but for the Christians, we still struggle with this too. But the sins in these verses, really, they involve a basic violation of the Ten Commandments. Idolatry violates the first and second commandment. Murder violates the sixth commandment. Immorality violates the seventh. Theft violates the eighth. And the reality is this. Once the heart is set in its hostility against God, not even the scourge of death will lead to repentance. And sadly, even for quote-unquote Christians, once the heart is set to do what it wants to do, nothing's going to stop it. It only spurs people towards more sinful humanity. And the only thing that's going to change is the gospel. That gospel transformation. And that's why, you know, we've been harping on it a lot this year, and that's what's going to continue to be the theme for our church going forward. Because that is the only thing that's going to change the heart, right? The answer is yes, if you don't know it. It's the only thing that's going to change the heart. Allowing the gospel to truly transform us. To transform our minds. Look, many of us struggle with our minds. I'm sure it'll probably be a series that I do in the new year about the struggle that many of us have with our minds. We struggle with that. We struggle with what we worry about, what we think about, and the stress that we have in our lives. We struggle with people-pleasing. <laughs> Who doesn't struggle with that? We struggle with so many things. But the only thing that can really help those things and fix those things is not medication and this and that. 
The only thing that can fix those things is the gospel, really, really. And I understand there are certain things that you need medication for. I, I get that. And I'm not discounting those things. But sometimes we are so quick to, well, I need more drugs. I need more this. I need more that. What we need is more Jesus, really. And at the end times, it's, it's just sad that even with half the world being obliterated, basically, they're still not going to repent. God is there. He's working, just like He's working today. But the question is, and that, this is what I want to close with, the question is, are we listening? And, and I think it comes down to this as we close out this year, this crazy year. Are we going to worship the God who made us or are we going to worship the gods that we make? So as we end 2020 and go into 2021, are we going to worship the God, the creator of the universe, the big G God, Emmanuel, God with us, wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace, or are we going to worship the little G gods that we have created? And the key truth, again, that we looked at last time that we'll close with tonight, again, judgment is coming to an unrepentant humanity. And even though our Lord uses Satan and his forces to bring about judgment, nothing happens apart from his sovereign determination. Nothing happens apart from the sovereign determination of God. Meaning that take hope, take heart, that he is in control of all of it. And even as we'll look at next week, Lord willing, in chapter 10, it's, it's almost as if John in chapter 10 and 11 is, is giving us another commission. He's recommissioning us. He's kind of taking a pause for a minute as he's unveiled what's going to happen at the end times and he's basically saying, hey, there's still a job to do. <laughs> Go and preach the gospel and proclaim the gospel to a world that desperately needs to hear it. And really, again, one thing that 2020 has taught me is how much people need to understand what the gospel is. Even Christians, my goodness. And I can go off about that for a long time. I've been talking to my family a lot this week and just a lot of just craziness about just this year. And, you know, it's, it's revealed people's true hearts and nature, really. And I'm, I'm not going to get on my soapbox for this, but we need a resurgence back to the gospel. I mean, as I've preached in Acts the gospel must be our priority. It must be above all. And if it's not, then what are we even doing? What are we even living? So as we close out 2020, that, that's what I want to leave you with. That's, that's my challenge as we finish this year. Tomorrow's the last day of the year. Start a new year. Many of us will make resolutions and this and that. My, my challenge for your resolution is make the gospel a priority. Some of you are like, oh, I want to, I want to lose weight. I want to gain weight. I want to, I want to do this. I want to do that. Whatever it is you want to do, that's fine, but make the gospel a priority. Make Jesus your first priority. That's what you need to do. That's what's going to help our church. That's what's going to help humanity. Nothing against whatever goal you have. I'm not against those things. Growing hair for Marcus, whatever it is, you know? Not against those things. 
It's good. It's a good goal. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a good goal. Nothing, nothing against that. But just make the gospel a priority. Love you guys. And, you know, I'm thankful that I have an opportunity to preach to you. I'm thankful for what God has done in our church and just looking forward to a great year.